And as we're making our way to that passage of scripture, I just, uh, I loved, I even wrote down the lyric as we were singing, uh, for he has said that he will bring me home. Today we're going to be talking about this idea of, of home. Uh, I, I've mentioned to you before, I've always enjoyed the opportunity to be able to, to travel. Uh, I think some of you might also enjoy that opportunity, maybe to go see family or maybe to go see a destination. In fact, there's a commercial that's out right now that I kind of resonate with and really enjoy. And what it says is this idea of, um, there's lots of things of where people might say, I, I wish I would have bought that, but most people aren't uh, struggling in as they gain age in their life of like, ah, I wish I would have bought that and were disappointed. It's more of, I wish there were places that I had gone, places that I had an opportunity to be able to see and to experience. And I would say that's true for me. I'd much rather be able to see some of the things and have the opportunity to travel. And anytime I've had the opportunity to travel, whether I know it's going to be a trip for that's like, say this summer, maybe like a, a week of going to the DR, or maybe it's a trip to go see, see some family. I'm going to travel a few hours and be gone for, uh, you know, several days. Um, once I knew that this was the trip, this was the journey, this was going to be the travel, uh, I knew by the time it was the night before it was time to come home, I was like, I'm ready to go home. Like, I've been here long enough. My dad always gave me the advice. He said, company is like fish. It spoils after about three days. And so I was like, thanks, dad. He's like, well, that doesn't mean you. And I was like, yeah, right. And so I can just remember uh, when I went to Russia for a summer, I was gone for two and a half months. And I, I, I thoroughly just enjoyed my time there. I was never homesick. I didn't long to get home. But whenever I knew our, our trip was done, our journey was complete, that it was time to go home. I was like, I'm ready to go home. Like, it's time to go home and to be able to sleep in my own bed and to, and to be able to eat an Arby's sandwich because that was the one thing that I wanted more than anything else whenever I came back. I don't know why, but it was delicious, and my mom had it there for me when I got off the gate, and I thank you, Mom, for that. But as we, as we look at this, the, the longing of home is something that I think resonates with all of us. We long to be able to get home, to be able to have that familiarity and to have that comfort. And Jesus, as he's about to share these words of this next statement of the I Am series, he, he's about to share something that I hope for each and every one of you is a word of, of comfort, because that's what it's intended to be. So look at John chapter 14, look at verse 1. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. As we've been in this series, just the main thing of today, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's as simple as that, but as, prof as profound as that. So let's pray. Father, I'm asking that our time this morning that you would reveal to us yet again just who you are in order that we may know you, that we may be able to, to call upon you and to, to recognize that you are our God, that you are our Father. I pray that we would see that that is possible and accessible through the person of Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. 
To give you a little bit of context and idea of, of what's going on, if you've been with us in this series, you know that we've been journeying through the Gospel of John and just the different I Am statements. And we saw that Jesus made the declaration in, in John chapter 8 of just saying, I am, I am the great I am, I am God in the flesh. And they wanted to pick up stones and kill him in that moment. And then back in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, we find out that he states that I am the light of the world. And then you get into John chapter 10, and he makes this statement. He says, I am the door, and I'm also the good shepherd. And then just last week in the story in John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus, his good friend, dies. Mary and Martha are wondering where Jesus is at, and Jesus makes this declarative moment, and he just says, "Ah, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. And it's just a few chapters later that we're here now in, in John chapter 14, but you got to know the setting and the scene that in John chapter 13, that's when Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. This is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. This is the night that Jesus is going to be denied by Peter. This is the night that he's going to have to go through a sham of a trial, and this is the night that he's going to experience um, being slapped in the face, the night that he's going to experience the cat of nine tails, the night that is just going to be a long, long night. But before it happens, he's gathered with his disciples there to be able to celebrate the feast of the Passover, and they're there in this upper room, and the first thing that Jesus does in this moment as they have this travel to make their way to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast of Passover, they make their way in, and the disciples begin to argue with one another in different gospel accounts of who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They're like, I'm the greatest. No, I'll be the greatest. I'll be the greatest. And Jesus, while they're doing that, there's just this picture of him getting up from where he is, is sitting there, and he takes off his tunic and he wraps a towel around his waist and he gets a water basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. That was the job of the servant. And yet all of these men who, prefer, who profess Jesus to be the master, to be the rabbi, to be the teacher, he's the one who's stooping down to be able to humble himself and clean their feet. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus, God incarnate, stooping from heaven in order to, to, to leave the glory of heaven and humble himself as a servant to you and me. And then from there, it kind of continues. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He, he lets them know that this bread that we're about to eat is my broken body for you. This blood that we're about to drink, or this wine that we're about to drink, this is my blood that's going to be shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. And as they continue on through that night, then you know the, the moment in John where Jesus dips some bread uh, and he, he holds it out and it says, whoever takes this is going to be the one that's going to betray me. And people are just kind of confused with this. And Judas takes it and he looks at Judas and Satan has entered him. and He's like, man, go do what you're going to do. He's going to go betray him. And then from there, you have an interesting moment of where Jesus not only recognizes that I'm about to be betrayed, but he also has a moment where kind of the main disciple, the one that's kind of the leader of the group, Peter, he, he begins to, to hear Jesus make these comments. All the disciples are hearing this. Just listen to John chapter 13, verse 33. He says to them, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Like what I'm about to do, you can't do. Like I'm about to take off. And this is confusing to them because he said this before in John's gospel. And it's confused the Jewish crowd, but it's also confusing the disciples in this moment of, we, we have literally left our jobs to follow you, and you're about to take off somewhere? Where, where are you going? Like, 
This, 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 we're banking everything on you to be the one who's going to kick Rome out of here so we can be set up as this great kingdom and we're going to be kind of your, your generals. We're going to be kind of your, your cabinet. We're going to be those guys. We, we've, we've given up everything for you. But he goes on and at this point, look at verse 36 of chapter 13. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. And then because we put chapter divisions, we lose the momentum of this conversation. He just said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And I almost picture him still looking at Peter and saying, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. How could your heart not be troubled when Jesus is like, I'm going to take off, what? And you're going to deny me. And Jesus looks at him, and it's just this perfect picture of the character of Jesus, of he knows what he is about to go through. He knows what he's about to do. They don't get it, the disciples. And in a moment when, I don't know about you, I can be a little you know, self-preservation, self-seeking of like, I know I'm about to go into a surgery or something like that. And I'm like, Tiffany, take care of me. You know, do things for me. Get me, get me things. And, it's, 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 and you make it about you. Jesus could have very easily been like, I'm about to go to the cross for you. Like, just, just zip it and let's, let's, let's just have a good last meal together. How about that? Like, quit arguing about who's going to be the greatest. I'm about to die. But yet, the character of Jesus just oozes out of him of comfort. And he says, hey, man, don't let your heart be troubled. I don't want you to be troubled in this moment. I want you to be comforted in this moment. And you're about to go through some things that you're not going to understand. And, and as, soon as, as soon as I was studying that this week, I was like, man, how many of you right now have gone through or are going through things that you're just not understanding? <laughs> and you're just like, I don't, I don't get it. Hear the words of Jesus, man. Don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is a God. Uh, Jesus is the God, man, of just great, great comfort. And what we're going to find, the same way that Jesus is comforting, we're going to find that, that hopefully what we find is that this, this place of home is, is, is comforting as well. We're going to see a, a few different things here this morning. The first is this. We're going to see the place, the place that is, that is home. Look at verse 2. He says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. It's just as simple as that. Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. We understand that he's talking about, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about the glory of heaven. Sometimes we have this idea of like, well, is heaven something that we offer to people because we want them to make them feel better? Or is it legit? Is it real? And yet the amount of times that Jesus talks about heaven and even more so talks about hell is so much throughout the four gospels that either it's a reality or he, he's delusional. And I, I tend to bank on the fact that, that he's speaking the truth of the eternal realities of, of heaven and hell as actual places that we will experience one way or the other in what we do with Jesus. If we answer that question that Jesus asked last week in John chapter 11 of, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? So heaven is for, for real. And hopefully it's real for you. Hopefully that will be your home one day. But, but can, I, can I just tell you this? Because this was something that blew my mind years ago as I began to study more and more. Sometimes we get so caught up in heaven, like I can't wait till I get to go and be in heaven, uh, 
But what you have to remember is this. Heaven is not going to be the end of it for you. Heaven is actually an intermediate state. That before Christ returns and sets up his kingdom upon this earth, the second return of Christ, that those who, who do die physically but are in a relationship with Jesus, that when we die, as the Apostle Paul says, is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord, and our destination is, is heaven. But that, again, is our, is our kind of our intermediate state to where we get to enjoy that and the glories of God. But, but then we know in Revelation that heaven is going to come down on earth, and this is where we will ultimately reign and rule is here on earth. Heaven will be on earth earth. So regardless of whatever it is, in the same way that I've had times in my life where my, maybe my specific address has changed, but home is still the same. And I'll get to that in just a moment of why home is always still the same. Let's look at the second thing. That's the place. Let's look at the preparation, the preparation of the home. In verse 2, he says, if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he says, I'll come again. So he's talking about preparation. I go. He's using wedding terminology that's kind of foreign to us in the year 2022. Like we have a hard time understanding this culture and this mindset because it's been such a long time and we, we're in a Western society. But in this day and time, what would happen is as, as you would maybe wait for your bride on your wedding day, that gentleman that you were longing for her to kind of finally bust through those doors so you could finally have the ceremony and get married, for, for the gentlemen in this day and time and for the ladies, the, the process was a little bit different. We talk about engagement, but they had something that was a little bit more serious than that of what was known as being betrothed or a betrothal. And what would happen is, is the father of the groom and the father of the bride, they would kind of get together and they would visit with one another. And again, this is kind of foreign to us, but the father of the groom would say, I think my son needs to marry your daughter. And I think this will be a wonderful relationship. And the father of the bride says, I agree with you, good sir. What will you give me for my daughter? And he's like, I got a couple of cows and I got a few goats and that's what I'll give you. And I know, again, that's foreign to us because, but that, that was kind of the process. It was called the mohar, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it was this process of where you might even think of um, not too long ago, like several hundred years ago of, of, of a dowry. And, and so what was happening was, the father of the bride is losing his daughter to really go into this family and be a part of that family, then there needs to be some kind of payment and compensation that would be received as I'm losing this daughter and she's going into that family. And what would happen is once it was agreed upon that these two were going to be wed, there was a betrothal. And it would generally be, however long it would take, it would be this process of where literally the, the groom to his betrothed would say, I go to prepare a place for you. And so when Jesus is sharing this, this language in this setting here in the upper room, the disciples are immediately thinking of marriage talk, marriage language. And what would happen is, is that the, the, the groom-to-be, he would be like, all right, I'm going to get married. i got to get things ready. And what he would not do is say, I'm going to go down the street, find my own place, and I'm going to build something. He would go to his father's house, and at his father's house he would add a room to his father's house, a dwelling place. And that's where he and his bride-to-be would dwell. Now, I know, and I, I had to stress this so many times, I remember in the church that I was at in Oklahoma, sometimes you read this and it sounds like there's going to be uh, some language of you're going to get not a dwelling place, but a mansion. 
Can I tell you, you don't get a mansion. And I know you may be disappointed in that because you always wanted a mansion, but you don't get a mansion just over the hilltop because you know what's better than a mansion over the hilltop, down the street from God? You get to live with God. You get to dwell in His home and in His presence, and you get your own own room, you get your own dwelling place. That's the imagery that's being used here is that you get to be a part of the family, not some kind of distant cousin down the road that, eh, I hope we don't see him except for the holidays. It's like, no, we get to be together. And this is what the groom would be preparing. He would be making sure that I have a place ready to go for when I come and get my bride. And that leads me to the third thing, the promise. So you have the place, the preparation, but also the promise of the home. Look at verse three. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, here it is, the promise, I will come again. Do you believe in the second coming of Jesus? (laughs) Sometimes we, 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 we live as if that's not going to happen, but there's more comments and more prophecy of the second coming of Jesus in Scripture than the first coming of Jesus in Scripture. Jesus is coming again, and he says, I promise you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. I, 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 I know that at times when Tiffany was getting ready to, to, for our wedding day, that what I didn't expect her to be doing as she was getting ready was there at the church, all excited and anticipation. And then if I were to find out that she was like laying on a, on a couch, kind of in the bridal chamber, like getting ready room, and she was in you know her pajamas, just eating some Cheetos, I'd be like, we got 30 minutes to go. Um, are you not going to get ready for this event for us to to, to, to get married in this ceremony. Like, you, you get ready, you get prepared, you, get, you do all the things, you get the dress, you do the hair, you do the nails, you do all that kind of stuff that we even do today. And the same is true for us. These, these, these women, these, these brides-to-be, they did not know when the groom was going to come for his wife-to-be. They didn't know when he was going to show up because they didn't know when he was going to be done with his construction project of the place that he had for them that he added to his father's house to bring him into his family, to be a part. And you guys know this, but we know that the church is, is not only the body of Christ, the people of God, but we're also called the bride of Christ. And our groom is going to come, and he's, he's, he's going to literally, as it says in 1 Thessalonians, he's going to blow a trumpet, and there's going to be this return of the, of the king or the return of the groom to get his bride, the church, and say, come and be with me. This is exactly what would happen in this day and time, again, with wedding terminology. Whenever the groom-to-be finally got his place ready to go, it was time for him to go and get his bride, he literally would get a shofar horn, and he would go, and he'd blow that thing, and he would get his boys, his groomsmen, he's like, I'm going to get married, let's go get my bride, and they would be marching down the street, and it was a ceremony. I mean, it was a parade of, I'm finally getting married, and so he makes his way down the street, and people are like, this was an event for them. They didn't have TV. I mean, they were like, here comes, you know, here comes John, and he's, he's making his way, and he's, oh, he's going to go get Susie, and they're going to get married. It's going to be beautiful. I hope I get to go and get to be a part of it. And they would have this huge parade, and they would go, and they would get the bride-to-be. But what if the bride wasn't ready? What if she was caught unaware? That's why she always had to be an anticipation and expectation of he could come at any moment. When I hear that horn blow, I need to be ready for the groom to get me. 
Are you living a life right now that when Christ, when he comes again and he returns and that, that, that trumpet blows, as it says in 1 Thessalonians, that you are ready for Christ, our, our groom, to come and get us? And I get this, guys. This is sometimes awkward language for us, the idea of being the bride of Christ. I get that. But, but, but focus on, on the principle of, of what Christ is saying is you get to come and you get to be with me. I'll just read it to you, 1 Thessalonians 4. The Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel. He's got his boys as well, his groomsmen, if you will. And, and with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always, always, always be with the Lord. There's a church sign in Colorado. I, I, I really loathe church signs, no offense if you love them, because I'll drive down, I'm like, the grammar's wrong, and why are you saying that? Like, that's not helpful to anybody, and they just drive me crazy. But sometimes they're for good laughs. Uh, but this one church sign, it specifically said, Christ is coming again, look busy. That is horrible, horrible advice. A point reason why I don't like them. Christ is coming again. Look busy. I don't want your pithy little comment. I want scripture if you're going to have one. Christ is coming again. Look busy. But the better would be Christ is coming again. Be ready. Are you ready for the return of Christ, for your groom to come and get you? Now, this isn't going to be on the screen because I told you I was mowing yesterday and I was going through my sermon, so I have another, an, another word for you. Uh, it starts with a P, believe it or not. So we've looked at the, the place and we've looked at the preparation and we've looked at the promise, but I also want us to focus on the presence, the presence. Not presence like at Christmas time or your birthday, presence as in being with someone. The comfort of Jesus is the presence of Jesus. Some of you right now are full of anxiety or fear, and what I can tell you is that God, Jesus, drives that out. He drives out the darkness. Choose to come into the presence of Jesus and know the comfort of Jesus. See, this is his house in, in heaven, and it's, it's got many rooms, and and part of how he's using this terminology is earlier in the book of John, when he talks about his father's house, he's talking about the temple as being his father's house. You may not know this, but the temple has lots of rooms attached to it that the priests would use for a variety of different things. Some of them would live there. And we know later on when you get to Hebrews and Revelation that the temple is just a copy of the, of the heavenly original. And, and what it is that we're getting to experience is is, is this dwelling place. The temple was the dwelling place of, of God on high. So when Jesus says in verse 3, I will come again and receive you to myself, he's saying, you're, you're going to get to be with me. He doesn't specifically say, I'm going to take you to heaven. It's certainly implied, but more vastly important is he states that he is taking you to himself. Think of it this way. I could go to Buckingham Palace in London where the queen lives, but I, if I never meet or run into the queen, what's the point? It's just, it's just a place that's cold and empty. I want, I want to meet the person, the royalty of that place that makes it royal. The same is true for, as I mentioned before, for me in my life, my address has changed many times, but home has always remained the same, especially these last 17 years. When I, when I joined my life with Tiffany, 
and we got married. We, we've, had, we've had an address in Fort Worth, Texas, 1805, Ferguson Court South. I still remember it. And then we made our way to Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. There was some place way out in the country. I cannot tell you that address because they didn't really have addresses. They didn't have like 911 back then. I'm not kidding. And so they, they, you said to be like, I live down the creek, down, take a right past the road on the white fence. Like that was the directions that you would give. And so eventually we made our way to 124 Atlanta Drive, Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. And then we made our way to Nashville, 112 Highland Villa Drive. And then we made our way here to Murfreesboro, What's our address? 1241 Crescent Ridge Drive. That's the most recent one. Um, and, but what I found is, is that no matter what, because she's my home. And in some similar ways, if, if my parents, they've, they've lived in, in Tulsa, the Bixby area, for, for most of their life, they're in Oklahoma. If they were to move, and I'm like, hey, we're going to go home for the holidays, we're going to go see someone, we're going to see some family. If they move to... May it never be Broken Arrow. If they moved to Broken Arrow and I showed up there and I was like, this is home. Because home is, is the presence of these people. Some people, they, they get excited about, man, I can't wait to go to heaven one day. And that's, that's fine. But what are you longing for? Because you realize you can get a bit of the taste of heaven here on this earth when you choose to dwell in the presence of Jesus. And some people are like, oh, I'm just looking forward I get that. It's going to be different in a way that we can't quite describe or understand. But you get, a, you, you get little morsels of that right now, and it's like, oh, I just wish I had more comfort and peace. Go to Jesus. He's going to comfort you. Go to Jesus. Be in his, in his presence. Well, the next thing is the plan. Here's the plan or the means by which this happens. In verse 4, Jesus says, you know where I'm going, and I love Thomas. He says, Lord, I what are you talking about? Quit talking in riddles, man. Like, I don't understand what it is that you're saying. We don't get it. How do we know the way? And this famous passage that probably many of you know, if you don't, it's, it's a wonderful one to memorize in your life. Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. When he says, I am the way, he's saying, I am the only way. I'm not one of many ways to the Father. I am the way. I am the way. In John chapter 10, he told us that I am the door. You got to enter through him in order to have everlasting life. It's only through Jesus. When he says, I am the truth, he's saying, I'm the truth about God. You want to see God? Look at me, because I am God in the flesh. John 1.14, it says that he, Jesus, is full of grace and truth. That's just what he is. He is truth. He says, I am the life. John 1, 4, it says, and in him was life, and that life was the light of men. In John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And all throughout the gospel of John, follow me here, all throughout the gospel of John, John is is designing his gospel of count of what he is writing is so that you, where you sit, would see that Jesus is God. That he's not just a man. He is 100% man, but he is God in the flesh. That he is God incarnate. And he's, he's going to put his cards on the table at the end of John chapter 20 where he's like, I want you to know that Jesus is God, and I want you to not only know it, I want you to, I want you to believe it. I want you to personally believe that and receive that truth because it will change your life. 
And so chapter after chapter throughout the Gospel of John, he's talking about Jesus and God and me and the Father are one and all these different things. And you finally get to this point of where Jesus in John 14 is talking about the notion of the Father's house, heaven. And in the same way for you, the disciples would be like, man, that idea of heaven, it seems so distant. It feels so distant. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, just in, a, in an instant, that, that distance is swallowed up. Just, and Jesus is saying, God incarnate sits across the table from you. And it's just this magnificent seen if they'll if they'll see it if they'll if they'll believe it he's saying i'm the way to god i'm the truth of god i'm the life of god but before we move on remember thomas here thomas says we we don't know where you're going how do we know the way can i can i tell you this that for some of you you are thomas right now i don't care if you grew up in church (laughs) how much you've heard of Jesus, but maybe you're Thomas right now, of like, how do I really know that Jesus is the only way? I've been reading some stuff. Maybe there's some other, other things to consider, other people to consider, other faiths to consider. How do I know? So maybe you're Thomas right now, or the other disciples. How do I know? Or maybe for some of you, you have people in your life that they're asking this question, how, how, do, how, how can you say that Jesus, how can you definitively say that Jesus is the only means of salvation, that no one gets to God but through Jesus? That's awfully you know, exclusive and kind of rude thinking. How arrogant you must be to think that you have all the answers figured out. But what I found, and as I mentioned earlier during our welcome, there are people in your life that you need to point them to the way. You need to proclaim to them the truth. You need to show them life. You've heard this before, and I think preachers just do this sometimes, just throw jabs. But, but, but I would say, as followers of Jesus, is this your kind of life? It's where it's just like, hey, I'm an Eeyore Christian. It's like, oh, pleasant. Give me Jesus. It's like, no. You kind of got your shoulders back, confident in who you are in Christ. And like, I'm going to trip and fall, but by his grace, he's going to catch me and I'm going to get up because I know what I have coming for me. I know whose I am and I know that I can come into his presence and I know that he'll forgive me. I'm crushed over my sin, but I'm grateful for his mercy. And so I rush into his presence. And this is, this is the beautiful, beautiful thing. Someone showed you the way. Someone pointed you to Christ. I mentioned to you before, whenever we lived in that random home in Paul's Valley out in the middle of nowhere, literally, like, what I would have to do is if, when my parents first came uh, to, to visit us, I was like, where you need to meet me, meet me over here at, at the church, you know where that is, I will meet you there, and then the best thing for me to do, as opposed to just talking to you about how to get there, you know, and when you see, like, 20 cows, you turn right, and then when you see that picket fence, turn left, and then, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wind and curve, it's just, just meet me there in the parking lot at the church, I'll see you there, and then when I show up, just follow me. Just follow me, and I'll get you there. For some of you, there are people in your life that conversation is great. I mean, we're talking about gospel conversations this whole year. They need to happen. 
without proclaiming Christ and, and sharing the gospel, people aren't going to have their lives forever changed, so they have to happen. But sometimes what they need to see is they just need to see you following Christ and living your life for Christ. And then they, they see that and they begin to kind of follow you. And what you're doing is you're not saying so much, follow me. I want to point you to the one that you need to be following. I, I want to get you home. I want you to get into the presence of, of the one who can save your life. And so one of the things I thought of was literally right, right now, who in your life was that for you? Was it a parent or a sibling or maybe a pastor? or who, who, who was that in your life that kind of showed you the way, pointed you to Christ? And I would imagine every single one of you would go, I'm very grateful for that individual or for those individuals. Maybe it was a, it was a lot more than one. And I, I legitimately, today, whatever your lunch plans are, Talk about that with someone. Like, who is that person in your life? I think, it could, I think it could breed just an incredible conversation around the lunch table today of who it was and just thank that person, highlight that person. And hopefully what it does is it compels us and moves us and motivates us to say, that person, if they hadn't done that for, for me, oh, could I be that person for someone else? those people that we live with and work with and play with, that I could point them to Christ and let them see that he's the means and the way in life of salvation. Finally, last thing, and this is another one that I added so it won't be on the screen, but I want to talk about the presence of, of Jesus, the presence. Look at verse 6 of chapter 14, or yeah, chapter 14. Jesus said to him, referring to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But again, a lot of times we just stop there. But look at verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And then listen to Philip. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us. And at this point, Jesus is just like, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. They're suddenly hearing just the fact that to be in the presence of Jesus is to be in the presence of God. You want to see God, look at me. I don't want you to miss Regardless of how much Bible knowledge you have or times you've gone to church, I don't, I don't want you to miss Jesus this morning. It's easy to be in the presence of someone but not recognize who they really are. Years ago, I've, I've mentioned to you before, I had the opportunity to, to work at a radio station when I was in college. And it was, a, it was a sports station. They gave me the nickname Bacon because it was a morning show. And I, I just remember just enjoying it so much. And a lot of people would listen to this radio station. And I can remember going to different outings or parties or activities in college, and I would just kind of just be hanging out, visiting with people, and my roommates specifically, they were like, he's just, he's just Stephen, but uh, technically I guess you could say I was a regional radio star. I mean, what can you do? And, and, and what I found was, is as I was be visiting with people, um, <laughs> I'd be visiting with, with some guy or some girl just talking, and later on my roommates would go, hey, you know who that is? And he'd go... That's bacon from the morning animals. Unfortunately, 
Unfortunately, but fortunately, the girls would be like, I don't care at all. Why? That's such a stupid name. Why would they call him Bacon? And they just walk off. The guys, because they listened to the show, they were like, that's Bacon? And they would come back and talk to me like I was some kind of regional radio superstar. And they would just be like, man, did you get to talk to this guy? What's Steely like? And you know, did you get to talk to Coach Stoops? And, and we would just kind of visit together. And I was just like, once you found out who I really was, then you kind of got to know me. There's some of you right now, if you're not careful, even in this room, there could be people that you're sitting in front of, beside of, behind. And maybe look at that person that's kind of in front of you. Like, do you know them? I know some of you are like, don't look at my hair. But do you know them? You could be inches from someone, but miles away from them in spirit. These guys were inches from Jesus, and they're still like, give us the Father. Jesus is like, God is right here, sitting across the table from you. Don't, don't miss Jesus. You could show up to church all you want. You could go on a mission trip all you want. You could read your Bible all you want, but you could still be so, so close to him in proximity physically, if you will, but you're miles away from him because you have to come to the point of saying, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. I must, I must receive him be in his presence so that way when he does come again, I get to be with him forever and ever and ever. So the question might be, so, so how does that take place? Well, it starts where it started. In verse 1, he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Many, many, many people will say that they believe in God. The real issue is, do you believe in Jesus? What Jesus proclaims about himself as being God in the flesh the God-man. And so this morning, what I'm inviting you to do is, one, is, as we mentioned just a moment ago, is that you would make a commitment, maybe again, to point people to Jesus. Those people on your list of live, work, and play that you would say, man, I want, I want to invite them. Maybe even next week, you have an excuse. We're going to have a meal next week after our morning service for Set Free Sunday on May the 1st, just next week. Invite them here. They're going to hear the gospel of Jesus. But do things in which you're engaging with them with intentionality in order to point them to who Christ is. And so in just a second, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sing a final song, and it's an opportunity for you. I would say for like the first verse at least, I mean, don't, don't sing. Pray for that individual or individuals on your heart, and just pray, God, let, let me be your means in the same way someone else was for me, that I could point them to the way of Jesus. I could speak to them the truth. And finally, do you know where home is? Again, I don't want to make assumptions with any of you, even though I've heard lots of your stories about your faith in Christ, but do you know where home is? And I would say even better yet, do you know who home is? Home is Jesus. Are you making it a point and priority to be in his presence? Your life, could, I think, could look a lot different this week. And the last thing is, you believe in God, that's good. Do you believe in Jesus? Can you honestly say that he is my salvation and my Lord? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for this group, this church. I pray that we as the bride of Christ would recognize 
just the comforting words that Jesus speaks to his disciples here, but for all of us in this room. One, that you're coming again. And two, that you're going to, you've promised that we're going to get to be with you forever and ever and ever. If we would but come to the Father through faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray that that would be the case today. Amen. Would you guys, if you would, would you guys stand? As as I mentioned to you this morning, for the first little bit of this song, before you do anything else, the most important thing you could possibly do, I believe, right now, is just take a moment and just be in the presence of Jesus. Thank him for the person in your life to talk to you about Jesus. But again, identify. I don't want to let you guys escape this place without being confronted with the people on your heart and your list that you need to have those conversations with not out of legalism but out of love because if you don't point them to the way who will you're that ambassador of Christ in their life so as Lauren sings would you guys just spend that time if you need somebody to visit with pray with talk about what it means to come to know Jesus I'll be right there I'll be happy to talk to you But as she sings, just take some time, spend it with the Lord, and then just praise him and sing with Lauren.